Welcome to Bible Study. This is Nick Rita, your host. Thank you for tuning in. Again, it's our pleasure and privilege to welcome you to this broadcast. Please stay with us for this hour as we are going to open the Bible again. And we encourage you to open your Bible if you can. If not, just please stay with us. And uh, we would like to allow the Bible to speak on the topic which we are having for today. We are going to talk about God's mission and my mission. But we'll focus today a bit more about God's mission. I'd like to say hello to our panel and it's good to have back with us, uh, Len. Welcome back, Len. Thank you, Nick. Hello, listeners. And it's almost like being a stranger. Jerry, it's good to have you with us too. Thank you, Nick and listeners. Looking forward to this study. Hey, Lija, thank you for joining us. Yes, thank you. It's very good to be here. Well, welcome to the program. Thank you, Nick. It's a privilege. Brenton, thank you for joining us too. Thank you, Nick. I think this is going to be an exciting series of studies. And I'd like to thank uh, Joe for uh, working hard on this one and preparing this uh, Bible study. Uh, Joe is going to facilitate this discussion. Uh, welcome to the program, Joe. Thank you, Nick. Thank you very much. It's good to oh, be here. Yes. Uh, well, could be a very exciting um discussion today and also as we continue to look uh, into this um, general topic God's mission and my mission but uh, I would like to ask Joe to take us through for today's study certainly thank you Nick I'd like to first begin with a prayer uh Lydia would you like to lead out in prayer before we begin yes sure glorious father in heaven thank you so much for a new opportunity to open your holy word again. Father, please remain with your holy presence with us. Please guide us, lead us, direct, enlighten, and give us wisdom to understand God's mission to us, to understand that it has its origin and purpose only in you, Father that you intentionally reached out and desired to be with your children as you always did over the centuries in every generation. Father, we trust in you that you'll hear and answer our prayers. We honor and glorify your holy name because you are worthy. And we thank you so much for everything. In Jesus' precious name, amen. Thank you, Lydia. We'll start the study by going a little bit back in time, somewhere back through eons of time, there was a solemn council of the Godhead. Freedom to choose would eventually result in a choice contrary to what was right and good. Someone would question the status quo and challenge God's word with lies and selfish ambition and even hope to replace God in a leadership spill of a sort. Everything good. Everything true would be under attack. God foresaw this and took steps to protect the universe while respecting freedom of choice for all his creation. A decision was made. In this council, a plan was devised. A rescue mission was shaped in omniscient wisdom. The Bible tells us of the provisions made. 
for when this happened. In Ephesians, it tells us that the mission to redeem the world actually predates its creation. Brenton, what does Paul tell us in his letter to the Ephesians? Can you explain what this means? And was the plan of redemption a plan made on the run? Could you read this and comment for us? Certainly, I'm happy to do that, Joe. I'm going to read the text first. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love, he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will. To answer your question, um, when you read the, the book of Ephesians, which we studied in our Bible studies only recently, um, you can almost sense the excitement in Paul's voice as he first of all greets the Ephesians and then he tells them that as pagans who have become Christians, they have gone from being under the influence of the gods as they saw them, to now being under the influence of someone who in his infinite wisdom, way back before they were even created, made provision for them to be sons and daughters of God. The Greek word for predestined is parizo, and I'm not going to explain that in depth, but the other word for foreordained is prognosco, prognosco, and it means to set in place beforehand. So, What we could say, Joe, in summary is this. God has foreordained that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. You get your answer in Acts 16.31. What must I do to be saved? Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved, you and your house. Now, the second part of the question is, was it an on-the-run thing? According to 1 Peter 1.20, he says this. I'm going to uh, read it for you. He says, he indeed was foreordained. That's that word again, prognosco, before the foundation of the world, but was manifested in these last times for you. It was not an afterthought. And all the studies we're going to do in the next few weeks, the Bible studies are going to be based on the fact that God in Christ had this meeting that you've quite rightly pointed out and that they had ordained that whoever chooses to believe in him can have this wonderful privilege, not only of becoming sons and daughters of him, but sharing that with others. And that's what we're going to be talking about in the next few weeks. Mm. So it, it it's not something that happened at creation. No, it wasn't an on-the-run or an ad It was something that happened a long time ago. Let's mm. fast forward now, Nick, to... The time of creation of this world. What does Genesis 1-1 tell us? Who created this world? And was it a chance of uh, many random possibilities? Was it a set and forget kind of thing? Joe, that's a very important uh, passage in the Bible, you know. Uh, I mean, uh, for each one of us uh, as created beings, because it says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now, when we read this passage, I wonder what we think about this in the beginning. Is that in the beginning of when God did something? Or this is in the beginning in relation to us as human beings? Because I think this is important to identify 
that uh, when God was contemplating on this creation and to create ourselves, it was a beginning. And that beginning was very well planned, not just a random, as you said, Joe, just a random act of God, but God had a plan. And that plan is still rolling, if you like, today with each one of us, with each one of us. And uh, I believe it's important to understand that we are in God's plan. We are not just here randomly and uh, whatever happens around us just happens by chance or we cannot do anything or can we contribute to this? I think it's very important that God intentionally took an action and we are part of this. You make some very good points there, Len. Yes, I think it's worthy to point out that when God created the world, he completed it. It was mature and complete. It wasn't in a state of development. It was already developed. And this makes a lot of difference when we talk about uh, what happened later on, not very uh, long after creation. Because it was still in a, a state of growing, developing, evolving, if you wish, then the story becomes quite different. It was finished, it was perfect, and it was mature and complete. Mm, thank you. Now, there was this beautiful world. I could just, I could just envision it thrumming with life. How did the rest of the universe feel about this new world, Jerry? Does the Bible tell us? Yes, indeed. Uh, there's, a, there's a passage in, in Job, chapter 38, and the backdrop to this is that um, Job, of course, was in a terrible predicament. Now, we know just in broad strokes that um, uh, Satan attacked him and he loses all his children, he loses all his possessions, um, and his influence in society he was highly regarded, highly esteemed, and Job wrestles with the with the question, why? Why is all this happening? And um, instead of answering that question directly, God takes him to a different place. God wants him not to focus on his current situation, but to see a bigger picture of who God is. And that's why God says to him in chapter 38, he says, um, And the Lord answered Job out of the whirlwind and said, Where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? Tell me, if you have understanding, what determined its measurements? Surely you know. Or who stretched the line upon it? To what were its foundations fastened? Or who laid its cornerstone when the morning stars sang together and all the sons of God shouted for joy? So just from those few verses, I mean, if you just imagine if you are an angel, if you like, the morning stars, who are they? I think uh, I think it's clear that they are created beings. And I suggest in some in one translation it says in the angels sang for joy. To be eyewitnesses of the creative power of God when the world was made, this world, must have been absolutely jaw-dropping. Just try to imagine what that must have been like. I mean, we see the beauty in this world in its fallen condition, but what must it have been like to have seen it all 
happen in its original condition. And um, it, it's just mind-boggling, isn't it? Um, so, yes, it was a happy occasion, absolutely happy occasion. And um, I can imagine, too, when God recreates the earth, that that will be another jaw-dropping experience for those who, who witness that. So, yeah. Yes, the whole universe celebrated um, yeah. at the beauty of this creation, this unique creation. Mm. The story of creation itself, um, the days and, and whatever, is found in the first few chapters of the book of Genesis, and some might like to read them for themselves, but we'll have to move along. God created us in his image and likeness. He made a beautiful world and home for us, and his intention was that we would be eternally happy, living in harmony with each other and himself. This connection and relationship would be perfect and centered in love, perfect love, a love based on freedom to choose to love, to obey, to choose the direction we wanted to go. And there in the midst of this Edenic beauty was an enemy who cho- who desired nothing more than to ruin this perfect happiness and beauty and watched and waited for an opportunity to spoil and deceive We do not know how long he had to wait, but the moment came. Lynn, how did Satan bring this about? How did sin and death come to this world? It's a terrible story. Here in a perfect environment with a happy couple in connection with their creator, God, everything was hijacked. You see... God created human beings to be healthy, holy, and happy eternally. But the eternal, the healthy, the holy, the happy was all messed up by this rebel angel who came with others who followed him to this earth. You see, Adam and Eve, the first inhabitants of the earth, regarded God as their Lord. Whoever they obeyed, was their Lord. Satan came in and tricked them, tricked them by saying, no, what God said wasn't going to come true. They'd be all right if they disobeyed. That was the problem. They weren't all right. So he hijacked them. And we human beings on this planet have been affected by that ever since. Sin, original sin, came into the world because Adam and Eve disobeyed God by taking of the fruit that God had said you shouldn't take, and uh, so they disobeyed their creator. Yes. So Adam and Eve chose to doubt God. I guess that there was a conversation, and they chose to doubt God and his goodness and acted on on the snakes or Satan's insinuation, it's important to remember that death and suffering were never part of the plan, but entered as a consequence of sin. Will, after eating the fruit, something happened to them. How did they feel? What was their immediate reaction? Joe, this takes us to Genesis 3, verses 7 and 8. The Bible says, Then the eyes of both of them were opened and they realized that they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God 
as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. The result is is that uh, they felt naked and afraid, Joe, and uh, they try to use fig leaves for cover. It's interesting that Adam and Eve, we understand, wore no man-made garments or clothes. They were clothed in a covering of light and glory, such as the angels wear. As long as Adam and Eve obeyed God, this robe of light continued to cover them. You see, when you're in the presence of God, you're irradiated with his presence. It surrounds you like a garment, just like Moses was when he came off the mountain. The people didn't want to look on his face because they say his face shone. And every now and then, Jesus, the glory of Jesus' divinity, shone through like, uh, and people fell, like in the Garden of Gethsemane. And so they realized that when God's presence left them, that they were not covered with that light. They thought they were naked, and they tried to cover themselves with fig leaves. Sad story indeed. Yes. Lucia, what was God's immediate reaction to this? Uh, What were God's first words to them after their disobedience? And do you think they're significant? Yes, it says in the Bible, in Genesis chapter 3, verse 9, But the Lord God called to the man, Where are you? So God did not forsake Adam and Eve, but he came to meet them as usually. He knew actually where they were because he as an omniscient God has a source of uh, limitless knowledge. And uh, by that, he knew exactly where Adam and Eve were hiding place was and what they had done and what condition they were in. So this question that God came to look for them, where are you, doesn't refer to a geographical location, but is about uh, a relationship. So the question was like, where are you relationally was intended actually to make Adam and Eve think about their relationship with God, uh, to think about the consequences of their disobedience to God and to give them the opportunity to examine themselves and acknowledge their guilt. Moreover, where are you? Question was the earnest cry of a missionary God whose Anguished inquiry betrays divine awareness of the gulf that had been created between him and humans. His question, where are you, was his invitation for his lost children to return to a relationship of love and trust in him. Uh, Bears a promise of hope. And he was asking them, he was looking for them out of love. Where are you? Come. Come back to me. Let's talk about it. Let's deal about it. So as he did for the first pair of uh, humans that he created, the same question is addressed to each one of us, even now today. So God meets us also. And uh, he takes away first 
the the guilt, the sin, and uh, cover us with Christ's righteousness. Thank you, Lydia. From that point on, everything changed. They could have come up to God. They didn't say, God, we've really messed up here. Can you help us? They didn't come looking for God. They went and hid. And I think that's that's that break in the relationship that you're talking about, Lydia. Yeah. Now, everything had changed and the plan that had been planned back then, long time ago, was activated. God's mission came into effect. God did not leave them there. He actually revealed this mission to Adam and Eve and to the universe watching. Even Satan was listening very carefully. Could you tell us something about this scenario in Genesis 3.15 and around about there, Len? What, how, how did he give them hope and what foretold Satan's doom? Was there something significant, a promise made in this garden? Yes, I'd like to tell a little story first. If you go on a long trip in your car, do you have a spare spare tyre with you? Well, God had a spare tyre when it came to Mm. if things went wrong with the creation of the world. When Adam and Eve sinned, then straight away, God's plan, his spare tyre, if you like, came into use. He could have said, well, blow you, you've stuffed it. Uh, I'm going to forget about you. No, God's not like that. He doesn't leave us in our sin. He provides a way out. And in Genesis 3.15 is God's mission statement. It's also the first prophecy of the well, the first prophecy pointing to the future from that time. And this is what he said, and I will put enmity, which is being enemies, if you like, between you addressing Satan and the woman, which uh, in a prophetic sense refers to God's people. And I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your seed and her seed. Now, that's another word for offspring. He, oh, he shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. Now, at first reading, it sounds like all the uh, all the offspring of Adam and Eve, but here, no, it refers to one particular individual because that third line, fourth line, I think, of this prophecy says, he shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. In other words, there are two things. Number one, Satan, the instigator, of all this trouble that came upon the earth at that time was going to be ultimately destroyed. We're told that in Revelation. And you shall bruise his heel. In other words, Satan will affect Christ. He did affect Christ. He had him put to death, but that wasn't the end because he resurrected. So here is this statement of God's. This is his mission to save mankind, and ultimately the devil would be destroyed. Thank you, Len. Brenton, did you want to say something? Um, this What Len has read is very interesting because here uh, Satan would have recognised that he, his, um, at some future time he was going to be dealt a death blow. 
what that tells us in the context of what we're studying in these studies is the urgency with which Satan is now going about like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour because he knows his time is short. Now, the same urgency, the same sense of mission and purpose, surely that's what we need to have applied to us today because we have the Great Commission, go into all the world, preach the gospel, make disciples, baptize them and teach them everything. We should be just as earnest, if not more earnest, about God's business as Satan is about his. Thank you. Well, as we, as essentially sin and death are now part of their lives. And it wasn't too long after that that Cain, the very next generation, killed his brother. Humanity was becoming more and more degenerate and evil. In fact, there was so much evil and violence that God is recorded in scriptures expressing his disappointment. It was so bad that it had to be checked. But even after the floods, the rebellion against God continued and all the while, all the while God was looking for someone who would hear his voice, a someone who would become a partner with him in his plan to save the world from eternal death. Jerry, Somewhere in the city of Earth, there was someone who was willing to listen to the voice of God. And who was this person and what did God ask him to do? What did God have in mind? Well, that person was Abram. And Abram was actually uh, of the lineage of Shem. Shem was one of the three sons of Noah. And that was the the line, if you like, who were uh, faithful to God. Now, Abram and his family lived in Mesopotamia, which today we would call southern Iraq. But as you said, Joe, um, idolatry was very widespread, and even in the area where Abram lived. So there was a danger, if he had stayed there, that idolatry would have taken over and, and, and you know corrupted what was left of uh, Abram's pure faith. So God says, I want to, I want to move you out of this place. And I'd like to read a few verses from the uh, clear word paraphrases, if I may, uh, from chapter 12 of Genesis, verses 1 to 3. It says there, Then the Lord said to Abram, Now that your father Terah is dead, leave this city and move on to the land that I will show you, because you are still living too close to your relatives. My plan is to make a great nation from you, uh, from your descendants, a different people, And I will bless you, and through you all nations of the earth will be blessed. I will bless those who bless you, and let those who curse you suffer the consequences. My intention is for you to be a blessing to the whole world. So that's what God intended to do. Also, uh, Joe, God wanted Abram, who later became Abraham, to come out and be separate from the idolatry which surrounded him. God wanted a people group who would worship him and be channels of light to the nations around them. It was a means of reaching out to the world and reconciling them to himself. That was God's plan. Mm. Thank you very much. Brenton, now God made promises to Abraham about the future and the consequences of his faithfulness. The Bible mentions seed. What can you tell us about the significance of this seed? Seed as numerous as the stars in the sand. And that's, um, and then in Genesis 3, you have the seed of the woman. Is there any connection there? Yes, there is. In uh, Genesis 3, and Len touched on it very well, um, the term he will bruise your head is singular. 
that means a singular individual was going to come along and deal Satan a death blow. Um, starting in Genesis 12, verse 3, we find that when God called Abram, as Jerry has said, out of Ur of the Chaldees, he told him that he would become father of a great nation and through him all families of the earth would be blessed. He also promised him numerous seeds. Do you realize that four times before we get to chapter 22, God reiterates this promise that you will have seed like the sands of the sea or like the stars of the heavens? What's interesting about this, Joe, is that at this stage he didn't have a child at all. And when God came to him in Genesis 18, he um, he said, your wife, Sarah, about this time next year, will have a child. Sarah laughed in her tent and God's answer was, is anything too hard for the Lord? So this seed is it's it's not just in numeracy. It's in, in importance, because when you go to the Middle East, which I've been, all of the nations of the Middle East claim their descendancy from Abraham. So you can see that the significance of the seed is that in Christ, all nations of the earth would be blessed. But also the seed was so numerous that you couldn't count them. Really what I believe in summary, what God was saying to Abram is, you don't even have a son, but I'm telling you right now that you're going to have so many descendants that they will be uncountable. Is anything too hard for the Lord? Trust me. And in Genesis 22, after he, as it were, metaphorically offered up his own son, God said, now I know that you are genuinely obedient. And so the promise that God made to Abraham for all of us, right down to our time, Joe, is based on obedience. Abraham's obedience to God and what God said prefigured the cost that it was going to cost God the Father to send his son to this earth to die for us. And I think that's a very powerful, a very powerful instigator for us to be obedient to God today because our commission commission is what? Go into all the world. In other words, be obedient. Do what I've asked you to do. I've promised to be with you till the end. Thank you. Moving right along. Will Israel always faithful to this calling? And did God abort his mission to restore and save the world because of their maybe unfaithfulness? Thankfully not, Joe. Jeremiah 31 verse 3 says, The Lord hath appeared of me of old unto me, saying, Yea, I have loved thee with an everlasting love. Therefore with loving kindness have I drawn thee. God always drew them back to himself. God never abandoned them. It's a great comfort to me that God's love is not impulsively switched on or off on our behavior or faithfulness. Israel's experience is like our own, I believe. We walk away. We respond coldly to God's invitations. And he still stays around to appeal to us again. I think of Isaiah 59 verses 1 and 2 where God reminds us that our sins are separating us from him. But then these assuring words, the Lord's hand is not shortened, that it cannot save, neither is his ear heavy, that it cannot hear. It's this merciful sticking around which offers us hope, Joe. Mm. 
Thank you. But uh, God's quest to save humanity did not stop in the Old Testament. His desire to redeem us from this mess of pain and suffering brought him to this world in the form of a human baby. He became one of us. What does Paul in Galatians tell us about God's mission through the birth of Jesus? Well, Joe, I can uh, read that passage if you like. Uh, is yeah in Galatians chapter four, and if I read verse four and five, perhaps uh, uh, it says here. Yeah, but when the right time came, God sent His Son, born of a woman, subject to the law. God sent Him to buy freedom for us, who are slaves to the law so that he could adopt us as his very own children. I'm reading from New Living Translation, and I believe this is very important to realize that, you know, God, not only that he has a mission, but he can say mission accomplish. I mean, uh, as we continue to learn about God's mission, we understand this. And I may just want to say, something about a mission, sometimes it could be wrongly interpreted because people may say, oh, do you have a mission on this? I mean, do you have a agenda? Do you have something going on here? But actually in terms of military, a mission is something very carefully planned to achieve something and to protect that's why, uh, particularly in a, in a war zone, in a conflict, and we are in the middle of the great controversy, that conflict in between God and evil. And God has a mission, and in that mission, God wants to include us. And it's wonderful to uh, be part of that. But my dear friend, I would like to bring to your attention this. To be part of God's mission, we need to be in the right shape. We need to be reformed. We need to experience a revival in our life, to come to our senses. For that reason, I would like you to have a book which we prepared for you today, that you may learn a little bit more about God's plan for us, God's mission, which involves us too. You may be the only one which God can use to accomplish fully his mission, because we are going to share the good news, the gospel, with everyone around us. The book which I have prepared for you today is called True Revival. You just need to send us a text message with the code SABS2. SA stands for South Australia, BS for Bible study, and just put number two. All in one uh, 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 line there, don't let any gaps in between, just say S-A-B-S-2. And the phone number again is 0482-09-888-3. Please consider to get this free uh, offer which we have for you today. Thank you, Nick. Jerry, just very briefly, what does Matthew tell us about Jesus' birth? and the significance of the meaning of Emmanuel. Okay, reading from the Gospel of Matthew, the first chapter, verses 21 to 23, it says there, And she will bring forth a son, with a capital S, 
and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. So all this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the Lord through the prophet, saying, Behold, the virgin shall be with child and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which is translated God with us. Joe, I can't help but think of the opening words uh, as recorded in John's Gospel, where uh, it says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God, and all things were made through him, and without him nothing was made that was made. And it goes on in verse 14 to say, And the Word, which was God then, became flesh. And dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Can you imagine the God of the universe who created the universe comes down and becomes part of this tiny speck of dust called planet Earth in his own vast creation with the purpose to save us? That's just mind-boggling. I find it completely mind-boggling. So you could say the success or failure of God's missionary plan, and that's what we're talking about today, to reconcile the human family to himself and to save people from their sins and guarantee everlasting peace throughout the whole universe depended entirely on what Jesus would accomplish during his short stay on this earth. Mm. It's mind-boggling. It's very true. Will... Jesus' birth and life were not the only part of the mission. What does John 3.16 tell us about more about this mission? John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. You know, Jesus laid down his life for our sin, Joe. And why did he do it? Because he loved us and he wanted us to live with him in eternity. Brenton, yet when Jesus died on the cross, it was as though all hope had died with him. Had something gone terribly wrong with the mission? How did Jesus comfort his disciples in Luke twenty four forty five to 49? Before I read that, Joe, let me make a brief comment. Three times in the Synoptic Gospels and in the book of John, Jesus has warned them before he ever went to the cross that we're going up to Jerusalem. I'm going to be betrayed into the hands of the priests and rulers. I'm going to be spat upon. I'm going to be flogged. I'm going to be crucified. And three days later, I'll rise again. Now, it seems as though despite the fact that three times over a period of some 12 months, he has again taken them aside and given special emphasis to what is going to happen to him. They didn't get it, as we would say. It didn't fit in with their idea of what the Messiah would do. So after he's risen, and Luke 24 is an absolute mine, I would encourage Joe, our listeners, to read Luke 24. It's a wonderful chapter. He's appeared to his disciples in the upper room, and he says this, then he opened their minds so they could understand the scriptures. He told them, this is what is written. The Messiah will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day, and repentance for the forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations. There you are. There's your mission again, beginning at Jerusalem. He reiterates that, of course, in the book of Acts. You are witnesses of these things. There we are. 
I am going to send you what my father has promised, but stay in the city until you have been clothed with power from on high. They believed when they saw him. But in John chapter 20, we have the example of Thomas, who wasn't present the first time Christ appeared to them. And he said, I won't believe unless I put my hands in the Noah prince in his hands and put my finger into his side. Now, when Jesus reappeared eight days later and Thomas said, my Lord and my God, Jesus made an interesting comment. He said, blessed are those who have um, seen, but ble- even more blessed are those who have not seen and have believed. Now, we don't have the privilege of walking and talking with Jesus. We have the privilege of his scriptures. And I believe it's the scriptures, Joe, that we are commissioned to share with others. Even though we haven't seen Jesus physically ourselves, we know from the Holy Spirit opening our minds that he walks and talks with us. We know from personal experience what it is. And that's what we have to be able to share with others. Mm, That is so true. Throughout scripture, uh, Nick, God has desired to be with us, to be among us. He said in in Israel, among the Israelites, let them build me a sanctuary that I may dwell among them. His desire was always to be with us. His name was Emmanuel, God with us. And we get the impression that God wants to, desires to be with us no matter where we're at. Now, in Matthew 28, 18 to 20, Jesus gives them a promise, a very special promise. Would you like to read that promise to us, but also focus on what is, uh, what is Jesus really assuring them of? Yes, indeed, the beautiful uh, passage in the Bible, um, uh, Joe, and, you know, it's in that chapter, you know, where uh, we are brought into this plan so uh, in particular, you know, and it says here in verse uh, 18, I'm starting with, then Jesus came to them and said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely, I am with you always to the very end of the age. Now, we are not sent in a mission here in an unknown, because God knows everything. We just need to be connected with him. That's why uh, God says all authority in heaven on earth has been given to me. Then you go under my protection. Everything is planned. Everything is organized. You just need to go. It's not like uh, in these days, you know, sometimes people are, or troops are sent into some mission and they don't know where they're going. And they, they've been just trapped in, uh, in the conflict. God is very particular and uh, he assures us that he's with us. No matter yes, what no comes matter, in our life. No, exactly. No matter what. And this was right at the end. And Lygia, it had, it had come time for Jesus to return to the Father. And he led the disciples out as far as to Bethany. I believe it was the Mount of Olives and he lifted up his hands and blessed them. 
Um, and it came to pass, while he blessed them, he was parted from them and carried up into heaven. Now, Paul in Acts 1 tells us more. What actually happened? What was said in Acts 1 verse 10? Yes, actually it said that, um, I will read also verse 9 that said that he was taken up before their very eyes, before uh, the disciples' eyes, and the cloud hid him from their sight, and they were looking intently up into the sky as he was going, when suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside them, and he was saying, Men of Galilee, why do you stand here looking into the sky? This same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way you have seen him go into heaven. And there is another promise here in John, in John chapter uh, 14, verse uh, 8. It says, I will never leave you orphans. I will come to you. So this is a beautiful promise. After Jesus left, he didn't uh, leave us, but he promised that he will come back. So the same God who created us, died for us, will come back to us. So God continues to be with us, continues to desire to be part of our lives. And Jesus said that he would not leave us as orphan. It's his promise he would come back to us. Thank you. Lynn, now Jesus will return. What words of comfort did he share with his disciples in John 14, 1 to 4, uh, regarding his return? He said, let not your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions, and if that were not so, I would have told you. I'm going there to prepare a place for you, and if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back to receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. This was the promise that the disciples held tight to. It's the same promise that God's people throughout the ages have held tightly to, and it's the same promise that you and I hold tightly to. This will be when God and man are you reunited totally, physically, and in every other way. God has prepared a very special place for us, and that is very encouraging and very uh, lifting, uplifting. Will, the story of this world began in Genesis, and it ends in Revelation. It is a happy ending, which makes all the heartache in the meantime worthwhile. Would you mind sharing with us the words of Revelation 21? three to five, and comment on them, please. In short, Joe, Jesus' promise that he would be with us always also continues into eternity. And the assurance comes again at the end of the end of the Bible in Revelation 21, verse 3, the tabernacle of God is with men. He will dwell with them. They shall be his people, and God himself shall be with them and be their God. He's always going to be with us. That's great news, Joe. It is very great news that uh, all things will be restored and all the things that cause us so much pain will be passed away. 
It started with God being with his children and it ends with God with all his children. It is what God longs for. God himself, himself shall be with them and be their God. In the meantime, Jerry, we have a commission. What is this commission? In Matthew 28. Now, I know we've looked at this uh, text, but now the focus is on what is the commission that's being given to his disciples? Okay, the commission is really to go. Go, therefore, it says, and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. So there are marching orders, you could say, Joe. It's it's an invitation, yes, but more than an invitation, it's a command. Go. Go. We are called to be witnesses as Christians, not to be bystanders. And um, I'd just like to read a quote from a Christian author by the name of Ellen G. White from the book Acts of the Apostles. It says there, Christ did not tell his disciples that their work would be easy, but they would not be left to fight alone. He assured them that he would be with them and that if they would go forth in faith, they should move under the shield of omnipotence. So long as they obeyed his word and worked in connection with him, they could not fail. Go to all nations, he bade them. Go to the farthest part of the habitable globe and be assured that my presence will be with you even there. Labor in faith and confidence. For the time will never come when I will forsake you. I will be with you always, helping you to perform your duty, guiding, comforting, sanctifying, sustaining you, giving you success in speaking words that shall draw the attention of others to heaven. Beautiful words. This study was a very brief overview of the great controversy, good versus evil, God versus Satan, and our role in it how it all started and how it will all end. We will be looking in more detail each week at the various aspects of God's mission to save humanity, how God reaches out to us, longs to be with us so much that he became one of us and continues to be with us throughout all our days. The same God is coming back for us because he loves us and wants to be with us forever. We don't have to struggle to find him. Paul tells us that he is closer than we think, though he be not far from every one of us. Acts 17.27 God is seeking, lovingly drawing each one of us to himself. The question remains, where are you? Where am I? Let's not be afraid to come out of the bushes and grasp the hand reaching out for us. God promises that, and him that cometh to me, I will in no wise cast out. John six thirty seven. Now that's a promise. What a promise and what a God. Brenton, would you lead us in the closing prayer? Certainly. Father in heaven, we have touched on the issue that when man sinned, God came to the Garden of Eden and said to Adam and Eve, where are you? But, Lord, we're not looking back on that. We're looking forward to the future, the glorious future, where you will be reunited with us again. Lord, the privilege of looking into Jesus' face and thanking him for our salvation, I don't think any of us can adequately grasp what that will be like. Mm. And he will say to us with a smile, welcome home. This is your home. You are home with your heavenly father. 
you are home with your elder brother and eternity is yours. The riches of the universe are yours. We thank you for this study this morning, Lord. Help us to focus as we leave this study and think about our lives as listeners, as panel. Help us to think about those people who don't know Jesus, who don't know the plan of salvation, who don't know that you are coming again soon. Give us grace, but empower us by your Holy Spirit to not only go, Lord, but regardless of the consequences, regardless of the difficulties and obstacles which we will face, and we will face them because Satan is a determined foe, may your word um, shine like lightning into the minds of many people so that many more people will read you on that day and hear that voice, welcome home. You are safe with your father and your elder brother in the kingdom of heaven. Thank you for this study. We give all the praise and honour to you, Lord, and we just ask that you'll take us from here to be your witnesses, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, everyone, for uh, your participation today, my dear friend. We are inviting you to join us again next time. We are continuing with uh, part two of God's mission to us. Please don't forget to claim our offer for uh, today, which is uh, True Revival. The code is SABS2. And the number where you can uh, send a text message with the code is 0482098883. Please use this number if you like to ask a question or you may send us a thought which you like us to consider. Until then, may God richly bless you and have a safe walk in the footsteps of Jesus. I must tell Jesus all of my trials. I cannot Jesus, I must have
Jesus, I must tell.